0: I had no map from Germany to uh, Congo. I just stopped the car and was like, hey, where do I get to Nigeria? And then people would say, it's too far. <laughs> in Africa, they always say it's too far. If you can walk in one day to a place, they would say it's far. And if, if, if it's unimaginable far that you cannot walk it in a week, they would say, it's too far. Don't go there. <laughs>
1: so. This is a final all, all The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 210. Rio de Janeiro was once the capital of Portugal, making it the only European capital outside of Europe. It's true. The internet's told me so. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is a man who believes that location, time, and boss independence is the closest you can get to freedom while making a living, who was inspired to drive a Mercedes around Africa by a long-haired traveler playing guitar on the street, and who's lucky enough to have gotten malaria. Fabian Dietrich of FabianDietrich.com and StartupDiaries.org. Fabian, thanks for joining me today and welcome.
0: (laughs) Hi, Travis. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Good to be on your show.
1: It's rare that it's so easy to write an interesting introduction, but your About page, you just put it all out there, man. (laughs) That
0: sounded pretty good, man. It's it's funny because when I'm in a podcast interview and people uh, do an intro, it always sounds so interesting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, well, it's super easy because all that stuff's right there. And I want to... I want to dive into obviously the stories around what you're doing and the time and boss and location depends. I do want to throw one more out there though, because recently I've been really, really happy that I don't have to wake up to an alarm clock. So I call it like an alarm clock free lifestyle. So I I throw (laughs) one more in there, I guess, as an extra added benefit.
0: (laughs) Well, good that you have it. For me, it's 50% 50% true. Like, I think I still have to wake up to alarms here and there when I have calls with people in different time zones. Sometimes I have to be up really late or uh, wake up really early in the morning and then I still set an alarm.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and ironically enough, today I did set up an alarm top on this podcast. It's not always true, but 90% of the time, if I'll take that for sure. And where are you at right now? Because you've been jumping around the globe quite a lot and we're going to get into why. But you're somewhere interesting now, right? I mean, it looks, looks really sunny and nice in the background.
0: Yeah, I mean, here, there's as the Brazilians would say. You know, it's a Rio. Awesome.
1: Awesome. Yeah. And typically, your home base is? Well, I have
0: in Berlin, in Germany, and I spend uh, four months each year there during the summer months from June to, you know, June, July, August, September. And the rest of the time, I'm
1: somewhere else usually. Awesome. And and you've got some life events that have shaped your mindset and that basically took you from a regular corporate job in a life you're leading now. And again, we're going to get into what that life was. Were there growing up, was there this pull to be location independent and to be a traveler? Like, was that something that was ingrained in you in a, like a long time ago by your parents? Or is that something that kind of came up on your own as you started living a life and said, yeah, this might not be the life that I want?
0: Huh, that's a really, really interesting question. Um, I think 50% is genetics, and then the rest is upbringing, what happens to you in your early years, uh, and then what really was the cause of starting to travel, f- like for many people of uh, my generation of travelers, was reading the beach, <laughs> and then doing the typical thing of backpacking through Thailand, which was my first long-term travel trip when i was uh, 20 in 2001 i think that was and then yeah i loved it i loved uh, i loved i was in the off-season in thailand it wasn't that touristy as it's now Uh, and i loved being at beaches where there was no one or hiking through the jungle and i don't know just having a lot of me time being able to read books and uh, reflect and write things down and (laughs) Travel, you know, and so I got totally infected with the travel bug back then in 2001 and since then never really stopped. Um, I don't think it was like s- a certain thing that I didn't like and because of that I wanted to replace that with something else. It was just that very early in my life I got confronted with uh, traveling and then I, uh, really liked that. So I just followed the need and the, the love for traveling for the last uh, 15 years. And always travel.
1: It's interesting because I haven't heard anyone who's taken a trip to Thailand who hasn't come back and said, "Like, yeah, that was cool, but that's it for me. Like, oh, it's a one-off. I'm done. And and now I'm going to go back. It's it, it's such a magical region, and and I think anywhere that you go can have that feel. But so many people, that's their first experience where they're dipping their toe into the water of something that is very, very different from their Western culture, whether it be America, Australians, you know, um, Western Europe, you go and you, you think, this is so different, but at the same time, it's safe, it's fun, it's cheap. It's just a great package, I would say, as a country as a whole and as a region as a whole.
0: Yeah. I like what you said about dipping the toe into the water because we can do this metaphor now that life is outside of the swimming pool at home. And then you uh, go into the swimming pool, but you enter where it's like one meter fifty, and you can still stand. And that would be Thailand because it's so easy to travel there. But then, when you learn swimming, you go to other places, no? Because you can, but you, you will not sink down anymore. Yeah. So I think that's that's a great metaphor. Uh, Thailand is that and was that for me the, the beginning of the backpacker trail for many people in South uh, East Asia. Uh, also, pretty. Uh, cheap well, in terms of ki- cost of living. That's why I think many middle-class uh, Europeans, for example, go there when in their, when they're nineteen or up to twenty-three or something. You don't have so much money, no, when, when you're that age. So it's a, it's a good place to start.
1: Yeah, or maybe you're older and you don't have a lot of money and you still go. Like <laughs> regardless, if you have a lot of money, Thailand's a great place to go. Um, take me back a little bit into your story because you, you made an interesting point that for you the whole traveling, the, the idea of traveling and being location independent and working from the road, it wasn't because you hated something else that you were doing. And so you said, all right, I'm going to fight for this super hard. And I kind of felt the same way. I actually really enjoyed teaching high school. And it wasn't that I hated it and I went into my office every day and banged my head against the wall and thought, there's something more, there's something more. It's just that when I started doing it and when I started traveling, I realized that I liked that even more than the life that I had, and so it wasn't trying to break free and needing to break free, it was just that, alright, this is better, so I'm going to go this route. What, how did that kind of coalesce to you, because you said you took the trip to Thailand when you, were, when you were about 20 years old. Were you working before that, or was that did you come home and then try to figure out a way to work from the road?
0: When I went to Thailand, uh, I was 20, so I wasn't working, I studied uh, twice, I did a Bachelor in Computer Science and then a Master in something uh, closely related to psychology. So I studied quite a long, uh, time. I think I was supposed to study five years. I studied nine because I spent, uh, so much time traveling. Uh, when I went to Thailand, it was just, you know, vacations. Uh, we have quite a, like two months or two and a half months of vacations when we study in, in summer. So I went that time to Thailand. Then I came back and, and studied again. No? But I was so hooked to the idea of being somewhere else that, Uh, I wanted to go back to Bangkok, do a a internship at Siemens. I tried to make that happen. It seemed like it worked, but then it didn't. Uh, But I was already prepared to take like a semester off or two. So uh, my mom had a friend and he had a friend and he had a company in Chile uh, in South America. So instead of going back to Bangkok, I went to Chile then and uh, stayed there for a year, worked in a startup, you know, and... Usually I wasn't just doing long-term traveling, uh, without doing anything on the site, uh, only for some time. I always tried to combine it with something. So I wrote my bachelor thesis in Madrid when spent, spent a year in Madrid. Um, and then, you know, while studying the master, I went a year to Africa. Uh, in the white Mercedes, as you said, and so on. So sometimes I was working and then just quit the job and went traveling again. And uh, most of the time I also was studying. And then in the semester vacations or, you know, just taking two semesters off, like making a break, uh, I would then go somewhere else.
1: Yeah, and that's another interesting point that I think a a cultural difference between... Western Europeans, Germans especially, um, who kind of love to travel and and get the idea that it's okay to travel. And your typical American student who, you know, you go to university and you go four years straight because why would you spend any more time? Why would you take a break in between? And, you know, I, I have a few friends who did that, but very rare. It's more like you do a semester abroad and then you come back and then you just keep going at it. Why do you think that is and and what was kind of the the feedback from when you did that were there people saying oh no fabian like you have to finish your degree like you can't take nine years you have to take four what are you doing why are you traveling or was it a supportive yeah that's great take a take a semester take a year off and then come back and school be here again type thing
0: (laughs) when i was 15 i was sitting in school and you know in school in Germany we had like subgroups so there was the metal people there was the pop mainstream people and and there was the grunge people so I was in the grunge people section we were listening to Nirvana and Guns N' Roses and all this music and one day a career counselor was sent into our class and the career counselor came from you know the the institution of work in Germany they sent these guys to the school and they still do and then he stands in front of the class and he was talking to us and he was saying that yet you know uh life has to be linear. Like, guys, you have to watch out that you have a straight CV, that you know, all your decisions follow this common thread. So, you, know, you need to know where you want to go and then you take internships which uh, aligned to where you want to work in and then you, you, know, you, you become a more employable uh, person. No? Uh, in, in German, the word for that is Einstellbare Person, which means the translation is a, an adjustable person. So the more adjustable you are, the more, uh, is the chance that somebody will employ you, right? So the guy was t- talking to us and saying, we need to lead our lives and make decisions based on becoming a more employable uh, thing, right? And we were, we were like these Nirvana Guns N' Roses people who would just say, you know, beep off. <laughs> so it's, it's funny because that happened in, in, in 1995, and I presented this story in a, in a recent talk at the Digital Nomad Conference uh, where, where I did the keynote in Berlin, and there were fathers in the audience who came up to me and said, my son is now 18, and it was exactly the same thing. These guys are still coming in front of the school classes and telling these things to the, to the children, which I think is a very outdated model. Well, life is not linear anymore. And yeah, you can finish your career and then do all, all the right things and probably that helps to be a more employable person. But does it make you much happier? I don't know. Now on the other side, when you travel, I always like the comparison that culture and your brain is like a cultural operating system. You know, When we come from one uh, culture, we we think what we see and what we, what we've learned in our first years is how the world is And we have a a particular operating system. But if you start traveling, you meet all these other operating systems, right? And they transfer these plugins and updates to yours by telling you stories by... And then also the culture itself. You come into a country and then you see that what you thought how the world is supposed to be is just one tiny fraction. But then there's so many others. So your brain automatically becomes more less like uh, like flexible you, you 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 get a very creative and associative and and uh, problem solving brain because you get you're being confronted with situations that you never were confronted with before that means nobody tells you what the solution is it means that you have to find the solution and that turns you into someone who is an out-of-the-box thinker and therefore can act in new and strange environments and always get around Now, for me, that was the best university and and, and education I could have gotten because there was a point in my life where I traveled so much and then I was employed by a bigger startup and worked in London and in San Francisco. And I was kind of afraid when going there. I was thinking, man, I had this crazy life. I'm this freaky traveler and now I go into an office and have to work with 50 people around me who all had a linear life. And the career consultant told me you have to be linear to be successful. And then I went there, and it was exactly the opposite. Like they, they exactly liked me for who I was. Because if you work in a startup where there's basically no rules, because if it's a good startup, you're kind of disrupting something. So that means you're coming up with something new where there's no established rules for. Then it's exactly this kind of mindset that these kind of companies appreciate, because you are someone who then can solve problems in a new way. Because you're
1: used to it. Because you traveled, for example. What was the question? <laughs> I, I th- <laughs> well, listen. I want to unpack that a little bit because I think you're so right. The, uh, you know, I, I see that it's funny for me to see it from an uh, American education perspective because before, when I was in university and, and even in high school, obviously didn't travel outside the U.S. much, so I didn't have friends who were from these other cultures. This idea of a flexible brain—I'm just nodding my head, thinking, yes, yes, yes. Not only is that an awesome term to use, but also when I started traveling. I actually then realized that Germans and Aussies and and the British like you you would take these trips that weren't just a one week trip with your family down to Florida to see your grandparents which is a fine trip to take but you would do these month long, two month, three month things. I guess I never even realized looking back at my 18 year old self that this backpacking through Europe idea was a very common thing. For a lot of Europeans. So for me, I didn't even know that existed until I started traveling and started talking to other travelers. And all of a sudden, they're like, yeah, well, of course we took a gap year. Of course we backpacked through Europe. You know, you'd meet them doing it. And I was older when I was doing it, you know, relatively like mid 20s. And I was thinking, wow, I didn't even know that culture existed because I had never been exposed to it. And now having been exposed to it and, and obviously saying, yeah, I, I think that's a really neat thing. I'm sitting back thinking, you know, when I become a parent, there's no way I'm not going to kick my kid out the door at 18 and be like, listen, go back, back around Europe if you want to. So it's funny that we don't even know what we don't know until we see the other side. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> some awesome, awesome stuff there. So for you, joining that startup, and, and I think that is a thing that a lot of people are scared of. Oh, I'm going to come into a situation where. I might be the odd one, or I might have lived a different type of lifestyle. Like a lot of people, as much as we sit here and chat about it, and you know, we bring on guests who who live this location independent lifestyle, this traveler lifestyle. It's still a very small subsection of the major, you know, of the of the masses. And so you come into this situation. I want you to talk a little bit about that of coming into a startup and and thinking, all right, I'm going to be the different one. I'm not sure how this is going to work because a lot of these people will have had a similar upbringing and they know this, this, and this. And here I am coming in as, as the one who's coming from a much different background. But they embraced you. And I think that makes sense because probably most of them are, I, I don't want to say jealous of it, but they they see it and they say, well, that's really cool. Like they see it as a as a badge of honor almost for you.
0: Yes. I think that's what happens. You know, when when I was employed by this company, you have to imagine I was just driving an old 25 year old mercedes which i bought in germany down to congo so i crossed like 17 african countries i slept on next to the car i slept you know on top of petrol stations at police stops on the ground uh, i had a really low like but low budget and close to the streets lifestyle i was always alone i did- didn't hang out with any any, any tourists or backpacks because there weren't any. Right. <laughs> so it was like total isolation from from everything I knew. I had no fluent conversations for months. I was totally out of out out right. <laughs> and, uh, then I had malaria in in, in uh, Congo and I was bound to bed for like two weeks. But I was very fortunate and I had uh, internet and you get these crazy hallucin- hallucinations and uh, very weird state. Of consciousness when you have this high fever and malaria. So you, you it's, it's a good idea to find things that which keep your mind busy, right? So I was only I was uh, searching for weird things in the internet, like cat videos or the craziest world records. And then one day I put in the coolest job of the world, internet. And a job offer came up from a company in San Francisco. And I, I wasn't looking for a job. I didn't want to go back to IT or to an office or anything. Uh but I just applied for fun. It was an online application form, there was like five fields. I left them all blank, and just put Fabian, known last name, and then my phone number, Congo, right? And the next day they called me and uh, I improvised the whole interview, but I wasn't looking for the job. And I think that helped, you know, this attitude of, Pff, I don't need your job, but I'm just playing along. let to see if I could get it. And then, yeah, the next day I had another interview, next day I had another interview, and then I was in London two weeks later. And so I came from sleeping on the streets in Africa to working in London in this office environment. I remember... On the second day, I, I still didn't really knew what the company was doing, but I went to a, a sales meeting uh, with the pretty – it was Marks and Spencers that we went to a meeting. And I, the, the guy was like a, selling, a salesperson, James. He was like my age but had five kids. And, you know, wearing a suit, we were in one of these British caps. And then I was like, what am I supposed to do then? And he said, well, whatever you do, you know, whenever they ask a question, you just say, with a little bit of tweaking, we can do it. And I will present you as a technical expert. (laughs) All right. sounds sounds interesting. So he was like, what did you do before coming to our company, by the way? And I was like, yeah, I traveled in a car through Africa. And he looked at me like, it sounds pretty uncomfortable. Why would you do that? (laughs) We had a big laugh there. So I went to the company and every time they asked a question, I had no idea what they were asking. But I was just saying, we do. With a little bit of tweaking, we can do it. And then I went back to the office and learned what I had to learn to make it happen. And I made it happen, right? But it's funny because so many people think you know, when you're children, you always look up that and you think the adults, they know what's going on. And then you become an adult and you're like, nobody knows what's going on. And it's the same in the business world. Nobody has a clue. It's all made up, it's, it's, especially in the startup world. You know, You just promise things and then you just make them happen somehow. And that's kind of like the skills that you learn while traveling. That's what I refer with uh, to to the out of the box thinking. So that worked very well, you know. And yeah, at Lunch Break, I was always the guy telling stories about how I slept next to a guy with an AK-47 on the streets in Africa. I had a police stop, and all these crazy stories. But they were they were quite appreciated. So. I loved working there. It was a great experience.
1: Yeah, people get to live vicariously through you. You're never going to be the guy at the party or at work who people listen to and say, ah, that guy's kind of boring. You know, at least you have a fun story to tell. Whether they like you or not, you've got a fun story to tell. And um, I think that was one of my biggest takeaways when I started teaching was that, you know, in school, you always look up to teachers, same as you said, of, wow, like they're. They're these position of authority. They know everything because they come into class and they're teaching you and stuff that you didn't know. Little did I know that they were probably reading the textbook the night before, just like I did when I was a teacher, and then coming in and just teaching it. And um, yeah, it's funny to pull the veil off off real world when you get older um, and you think back, wait, there must have been people doing that when I was in school too. The idea of you driving a car, because we, we talked about that in the intro a little bit, and... The idea of you driving a Mercedes through Africa and then getting malaria, that was your first real big adventure, was it not? Other than, you know, you went to Thailand, you did backpacking, but this, this African trip was, was a solo trip, correct?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I did some backpacking in South America before, in Chile, Peru, Bolivia, and so on a couple of times, but nothing came ever close to the degree of adventureness of this Africa trip. Nothing. And I think there is nothing that can come close to it. Like Africa in general as the continent is an amazing, adventurous country because there's no rules, right? There's no, there's nothing, there's no paved streets in literally and also not for tourists. it's not like you come out of a bus and then there's 50 people offering, come to my place, come to my place. I have a big shower. I have a big whatever. I have a big toilet. One guy once told me, I have a big toilet. (laughs) Why would I need a big toilet? I just want a default toilet so I don't fall into it but in Africa you get out of your car and there's people running away from you because they never saw a white guy or well, there's children coming trying to scratch your skin because they think there's black color below it when you have your own car you're not forced to be between A and B you Now you can stop everywhere so you're stopping at places where never any white guy stopped before and it happened to me quite a lot that people were scared you know I rolled the window down to ask for the way and they were thinking I'm a black guy and then the windows went down they were like
1: ah white guy and
0: they Ran away. <laughs> you don't get that in other in other countries, in other continents, usually. So Africa was an, an an exceptional adventure.
1: What made you decide to take that trip? Because like you had you had traveled before and you had done typical adventures, gone through Thailand, gone through South America, stuff that maybe normal people would see as adventurous and crazy. But you realize that once you do it, you you know it seems fairly typical. There's other tours. Why did you say I'm going to get a Mercedes? I'm going to drive it. Did you have any idea where you were going to go in Africa? You just said, I'm literally going to drive it from here down into Africa and whatever will come, will come.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well... You know, at that time I was working at an NGO, uh, startup, and they were coming out with a new feature. It was called fundraising events. So you could come up with your funny fundraising event, and gather money for some charitable cause, and connect it with a crazy bet. So, my, you know, some people would uh, run marathons, so others would like put an uh, ice uh, bucket uh, above their heads for each donation. And I said, for every donation, I will sing a song that you can choose. Uh, in the clothes you choose and then I will perform it singing and playing so I had this fundraising event going on it was a lot of fun like Mercedes Benz invited me to uh, sing on the roof and stuff like that and I thought yeah this is nice and I would love to do it like worldwide so I I was like I want to go around the world and and raise money and then people would tell me what songs I have to play and the idea was that if people for example would donate 1000 I would have to divide this by 10 And whatever the result is, is the amount of people I have to gather at one place to sing the song together. So if they would donate 1,000 bucks, divided by 10 is 100. So I would have to gather 100 people. And if I wouldn't make it, there would be like a terrible penalty waiting for me. So that was my idea, but I had no money to make it happen. Then, Long story short, I won a video contest, got uh, 10K from this video contest. And then I had the money and I wanted to start the trip in India. But no plane tickets bought yet i walked out of the office one day and i see this guy sitting on the street guy with long hair and the guitar and that was exactly the guitar that i wanted to buy at that time for the performances it was a backpacker guitar so i asked him hey can i um, play the guitar just for a minute to check it out and he's like yeah totally and so i played and he told me this story so he uh had a successful painting business in barcelona but then uh, one night met this girl at the beach with a camping van and she was on the way to africa so uh, he fell in love with her uh, went home got his passport drove off never came home for four years traveled through africa four years and i was playing and he was like what isn't it dangerous driving a car through africa and he said no dude here's how it works and then he told me the story for half an hour and he immediately took away all my fear and I was like that sounds really good so i bought a mercedes and he- and then I, I did the same, right? just because I met this guy in the street. So for me, the answer to your question is that everything I did and all the decisions I uh, ever did, I chose the decisions by how much anecdotal value comes out of it, I think. So like regarding life as a story or an, un- an unfolding movie. And then uh, if there's a chance to grab something which will lead into a lot of novelty or surprises, I would do it. Just because it's a cool story. If I would have been, have had malaria in Africa and somebody would have offered me to be the manager of a gorilla park instead of working in a startup, I would have said yes. Because it's a cool story, yeah? And then now now I would probably be in Congo and managing a gorilla park. It was more like, you know, it was this natural flow of opportunities presenting uh, them to yourself and then you going with the flow of, of getting sucked in by the, uh, magnetism of the s- stories no? and you choose to to do it. Um, but it was totally random, totally uh, coincidence that uh, I, w- I worked for this startup and that then uh, before I, w- I walked, uh, I drove through Africa just because I met this guy on the street and everything was like that. So this model, what the career counselor presented to us when, uh, when we were 15, it's exactly the opposite.
1: Right, right. Like you're saying, whatever, not what's the most employable, whatever makes the best story. Like you're you're writing your own story and you're watching it unfold by thinking, hey, this guy told me about this. Would this make a good story? Yes or no? If it's yes, then you just figure out what you have to do to make it work. And usually that's not much, you know? That's the other thing is that you hear these people come on the podcast all the time or, or, you know, a lot of people listening might hear these stories and think that's crazy. And, you know, it is crazy, but usually what is involved to make it actually happen is not that hard. Like for you, you said, all right, I know what guitar I'm going to buy and I, I'll buy a Mercedes and um, then I'm just going to go do it. Right. I mean, how how quickly did it come from you meeting that guy on the street to then you actually going and doing it? I
0: can't really remember, but I would think it's maybe a month.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I was not pretty years of planning and not no, like worrying about everything. No, it was like, I'm no going to go. I had no
0: single map from Germany to uh, Congo, which was like 17 or 19 countries with the European ones. Uh, you know, I just stopped the car and was like, hey, where do I get to Nigeria? And then people would say, it's too far. <laughs> in Africa, they always say, it's too far. If you can walk in one day to a place they would say it's far if you can walk it in two days it would be far 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 and if if, if it's unimaginable far that you cannot walk it in a week they would say it's too far don't go there <laughs> so it was always like that <laughs> but yeah no planning at all and no maps and, and nothing no no information nothing it was pretty And then,
1: and then, and then you came out of that, right? And you, you had malaria and you said you were lucky to get malaria because that led to the startup job. So kind of taking this story to its, to where it is now, you, you, you had the job in the startup and you said you liked it. What then was the next step to start your own company? Because we'll get to where you are now and why you're able to be in Rio in the, you know, in the middle of a Monday talking to me on over Skype. What was the next kind of progression for you?
0: I was working at the startup and I was working like a sick, crazy person. I worked eighty ninety one hundred hours a week like the, literally the only time I was not working was when I was sleeping so it was a common routine that you know I had maybe one flight per week, two flights per week, so on a day, I would sometimes take four cabs and two planes there was driver flying around in Europe, doing boot camps, meeting customers, but also coding and hacking and just solving problems in a really fast-growing, amazing startup with an amazing startup culture. I was never that motivated. I loved my colleagues. It was an amazing time. I wanted to live in the office, but my boss said I couldn't. Uh, and I think that it was it was difference you know, between one year of traveling in Africa where, you know, uh, in double quotes, I was not doing anything productive. Of course, I was for, for personal life, but not in a, in a way of, of uh, getting things done other than crossing borders and negotiating with the police and all that, but nothing where I could would get like feedback from other people or made, make other people happy with the output of my work. So then I came to the startup and it was exactly the opposite. It was having lots of tasks and finishing them all and I got into this flow of being a super productive worker and loving the feedback from the customers and making people happy, not for the money. I would have done it for free. I would really have worked there for free because I loved it so much. And then... Um, it was exactly the same, right? It, it was like, you know, you, you drive through Africa, you're being stopped by the police, they want some money, you have to negotiate around so they let you go without paying. You're at the border and crossing from one country into the next and the police tells you, you can't get in here. There's no way. Go back. And you're like, no, man, I don't accept this. And then you just have to sleep there for three days and the police just, uh, stop and then go on the nerves and drink some vodka with them and play guitar at the campfire and at some point they will let you in. And being in the business world, it was kind of the same. It was like, yeah, challenge accepted. Let's do it. We get this done somehow. <laughs> if I could drive through Nigeria, I can do this too. So that was the mindset, no? and it was great. And everybody I work with was... So long story short, I, was, I became a very important part uh, in the team where I was working. And then at one point, I had a friend who was slightly getting crazy, and uh, he was in a pretty top position at a major German automobile car company. And he was under so much stress and so much pressure that his body developed a a, a sickness, I think. That's my explanation. So he stops what he's doing. They say that most of the sicknesses, they are coming from some sort of psychological problem and then the body develops a sickness to show you that you cannot go on like this. So he was having a tinnitus where you hear this sound constantly. So I couldn't sleep. He slept maybe three hours for 18 months. And he was like on the brink of suicide, literally. And I met him like after a year and he was institutionalized already, I think. And I told him, he tried everything, like yoga therapy and laser and everything you can do. Nothing worked. So I said, why don't you do something completely different? Go to the Amazonian uh, rainforest and you know just change your environment and maybe meet a shaman or whatever. And he said, will you bring me there and translate? And I was like, will you pay my flight? And he said, yes. So I took all my vacations and we went off to the Peruvian uh, rainforest and I translated for, you know, sh- shamanism to German and back and uh, assisted to the ceremonies he was doing. And <laughs> on the first day, the first night, he slept 18 hours straight. He had no, not seen some sort of shaman. But he was in an environment where there was crickets and sounds of grasshoppers and rain on the rooftop of the jungle lodge. And he woke up after 18 minutes, of, after 18 hours of sleep. And he said he was quite an angry guy back then. You know, he was like always trying to find uh, guilty people, but not him. He, he was a typical German mindset of, I need to get this done. I need to, you know, finish it within the deadline. You know, it couldn't, like the work was the most important thing in his life. So he went to the owner of the lodge and said, when do the construction work stop? I can't sleep. <laughs> and the the guy's like, construction work? Is this or construction work? Well, I hear the chainsaw all night. And what it was, was the crickets making this, there's these, there's these crickets making these crazy sounds, like which sounds like a chainsaw. But he slept for 18 hours. Guess what he's doing now in Germany? He has MP3 songs with crickets making sounds, sleeping to it, and he can sleep much better right so but at this point i realized man i don't want to end up like this i cannot work like 80 hours 90 hours 100 hours a week i need my freedom back and i want to travel so i went back to the uh office and did a meeting with my boss and i did a slideshow and i said this is me the last one year and i said i showed all these pictures of how amazing it was at the startup and then i was like next slide this is what makes me happy and it was like everything i did in the company but it was all also playing guitar, traveling, going to TED conferences, coding for fun and all that. And I said, I feel that I cannot combine this if I keep on working like I'm working here now. So I was very honest. And I said, now I have two options. I can do what I always did, which is quitting my job and then going traveling, or we find some sort of agreement, compromise. And my (laughs) suggestion was I would get the same salary, but only work three days a week. And my boss was like, No fucking way! (laughs) But but then another suggestion came up, which was that I create my own company, and they would send me some customers in the beginning to get to help me get the stone rolling. So that happened, and after four months, I had my own company. Um, I employed a guy who is now sitting like five meters from me here in Rio with me, and we are having some other employees. Um And, you know, I have this company for two years now. It's uh it gives me a lot of freedom to be anywhere where I want. And I don't work too much uh, as before, at least not. And yeah, that's the story, how I got the own company.
1: Isn't it amazing that I, listening to your story... And knowing kind of what happened, like knowing the end that you had your own company. And then we're going to get into startup diaries, which we haven't even talked about yet. But knowing all that, you know, when I'm listening to it and you're saying, oh, I'm working all this, these tons of hours 80, 90, 100 hours a week, um, but I'm loving it and I'm loving the work, but I'm not having that other part of my life fulfilled. You know, for me, I'm just sitting there like, well, duh, Fabian, like, why don't you just do the same type of work, work less, but do it from anywhere? Because I know what the end result is. But when you're in it, when, you, when you're when you in that mindset and you're working for another company and you love it and you, and you like the work, but you don't get that, it's so hard to see the bigger picture, I think. And I think that's where people get lost is that they don't see, hey, how can I do this but do it in a little bit different of a way that gives me the freedom? And obviously, that's one of the things that you're really passionate about is, is teaching people, hey, there is another way to work. And that's the that's what we're passionate about as well. And that's why we have Location Indie and why we talk about stuff on the podcast. Because unless you see someone doing it, or unless you've, you're really adamant about trying to do it, a lot of times you have this idea of, well, couldn't I do this in a different way? But you don't even know how to start. And I think that's what stops most people then is that they don't, they don't even see how they can blend the two worlds. But if they see someone who's doing it, all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, maybe I could do that as well.
0: Yeah, it it things in general become so much easier and so much more doable if you see someone doing it, right? Like the guy I met on the street who told me how he drove a car through Africa. That was for me the key. You know, having this guy next to me telling me about how easy it was and how he never faced any serious problems. You know? yeah. and it's the same with work, you know. It's you have the unknown, there's the fear of the unknown. It's a very human natural attribute, you know, because back in the cave age when a bush was moving, the first good reaction was to run away because it could be a lion. But then now it's all pretty safe. So if a bush is moving, it's probably not a lion. And, you know, if you are completely broken down, at least in the parts of the world where we are living, you will not die. You will probably get some help and you will not starve. So there are not any more serious risks. So that means you can take some and you can... Go for the things that you want without facing death. Right. <laughs> right. The, like the worst thing that I always imagine, right? <laughs> like what's the worst thing that can happen to me? Well that they steal everything from me. But not that I will die. Nobody will just kill me. Right. Not even here. You know, if you get robbed on the street in Rio from like glue sniffing fifteen year olds who have no problem of killing you, they will first ask to hand over your stuff. And if you hand over your stuff, they will not kill you.
1: Yeah. So. <laughs> it, it, it is. And it's it's the idea too, you know, you mentioned it in your story that you asked, you said, okay, I want to work three days a week, but I want my full salary. The worst thing that they could say is no. And they did, but from that no then came this whole other story of starting your own company and then, you know, realizing that you can have both the lifestyle and the work that you want to do. But if you had never asked, you know, uh, you were probably, I don't know, maybe you weren't, you could tell me. But I would assume that you might be nervous going to that meeting, even if you like your boss, because you're like, well, I'm going to work three days a week, but I'm going to ask for the same salary. You know, maybe you're a little hesitant to do that. But it turned out that by doing that, you now have the life that you want. And I think that's the big takeaway is that so many people think that there's something awful is going to happen if they ask or if they try it. And I always say, if you want to be location independent, just ask. Say, hey, can I take one week to work from home or two days to work from home and show you how productive I can be? And if you're going to be more productive, you know, if you can prove yourself, they're not going to turn around and tell you you can't do it for the most yeah. part.
0: But, but I think there's a premise to this thing, which is you have to do a good job even before you ask. You should not maybe be a bit better than average. People have to like what you're doing and how you do it and then ask. So, you know, and then when you're starting to do it, like let's say you work one day per week uh, from home or two, make sure that at least in the beginning you're you're at least as productive as as in the office. No,
1: Right. Well, and I think... It's funny that it goes back to the guy who spoke to you when you were 15, but you are making yourself more employable than other people because you are working hard and you're doing a really good job. So you're not making yourself more employable in the way that he thought you had to Of go to do this, work your way up the ladder, but you're making yourself invaluable because you're like, well, we can't lose this guy because he's awesome. And um, yeah. And if you do that, then... Yeah, then you can kind of start to set the terms a little bit. But if you just if you're average and you could be replaced, of, of course they're not going to say yes. They're going to say, "Well, no, we'll just hire some other guy."
0: Right? Yes.
1: This is the end of part one of my interview with Fabian. But if you like that, we've got good news for you because there is a second part of the interview with Fabian, which if you're listening to this live, will be coming out on Thursday. Or if you're listening to this, in the future, you can roll right into part two. We talk more about the startup diaries, the challenges of working on the road, how to become more efficient with your work, and also why it's important to ask the question of what you're going to do with your freedom once you become a digital nomad and then how that can help you set yourself up for even more success. So you won't want to miss that. You can get part two of my interview with Fabian at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. You can also get it on iTunes on Stitcher on Jabbercast however you're listening to this podcast you'll be able to get part two don't forget at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods you can also get all 200 plus episodes there as well as the show notes for this episode that is the headquarters for our extra pack of peanuts podcast on the website so extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods check it out you can go binge listen over there or of course you can just download it a ton of times on itunes Also, don't forget, guys, if you want to join the Extra Pack of Peanuts newsletter, and why wouldn't you? Because you will be getting our completely free four-video series on how to always get the cheapest plane tickets anywhere in the world. That's yours. As soon as you sign up for the newsletter, you can text the word PEANUTS, P-E-A-N-U-T-S to 33444. All you have to do is text PEANUTS to 33444. That will get you automatically on the mailing list. You'll get that free video series, and then you'll always be kept up to date with everything thing that we're doing over at Epop And if you're interested in a lot of the subjects that we've been talking about with Fabian about being a digital nomad, about being location independent, don't forget to check out Location Indie. I-N-D-I-E.com, locationindie.com, a community that I started with Jason from Zero to Travel about helping people become or helping people grow their location independent businesses. So we've got a lot of cool stuff going on there in the Location Indie community. You can go to locationindie.com, check out the video on the homepage. It's like a fake mockumentary on a rap video that we did. That's pretty interesting. And then you hop on the newsletter list there. You're going to be getting a lot of free goodies. And if it's for you, we'd love to have you inside of the community. So, locationindy.com, you can check that out. As always, thanks for tuning in today. Thank you for the continued support for making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. I'm still super excited every time I get to say that. And until next time, happy free travels.